0: Find yourself living in a shotgun shack, and you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, Well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down, letting the you may ask yourself, where is that large automobile? And you may ho, yourself, ho, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome back to Merry X-Lapsed, where we're actually going to be talking about an era that uh, I'm not sure we've ever talked about on this program, or on any of the programs, for that matter. We're going to hop into the very brief, um, some would say uh, sadly brief, Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel run This is uh, when those two fellas Took over the two main books For, boy, what was it? Maybe Maybe a year and a half It was very, very short uh, Very uh, tumultuous time Rife with editorial interference And we'll probably talk about that As we work our way through But I'm excited to talk about this era Since um, it's one that uh, Was part of my coming back Into the X-Men comics And uh, one I remember both fondly and um, maybe not so fondly. It's, it's a strange little era, which I feel may get a little romanticized after the fact. Because, of course, we're in the internet age, and uh, anytime an editor gets involved in anything, we usually side with the creators and uh, automatically imagine that anything they had planned was going to be millions of times better than what the editors ultimately wound up forcing them to do. We'll talk about that as we go through But let's get into the issue itself here This is Uncanny X-Men number 365 Had a February 1999 cover date is called Ghost of x Past Written by Steve Siegel With pencils by one of my favorites Chris Pachalo or Bocciolo. However you say that He's still in my top three of comic artists I just wish I could say his name Inks by Art Thibare, Tim Townsend and Aaron Saud Colors by Liquid and Monica Cobina Letters, Richard Starkings, John Rochelle, and Comic Albert Duchesne. Edits, Powers and Harris. Cover price, $2.25. This one went on sale December 2nd of 1998. And uh, as we get into it here, um, one of the things I've learned by discussing, boy, I'm probably up to discussing near 100 uh, Christmas stories between the blog and the podcasts. And uh, one thing I've learned in the time doing that is that Probably 98% of Christmas comics take place on uh, Christmas Eve, and this one is no different. So, twas the night before Christmas, and we are zooming in on the X-Mansion. We go right into Colossus' room, where we can see that he's been working on a sketch. Now, we'll soon learn that this sketch was supposed to be of a woman without a face, though here it kind of just looks like lines. I mean, it looks exactly like lines. Anyway, Pete's asleep until he is stirred awake by an ethereal voice calling his name. So he gets up, he armors up, and he tries to find the source of this voice. He's led up to the attic, where I could have sworn Storm kept her garden, but now it's just full of crates and whatnot. Though as Colossus arrives, it does look quite different, uh, but only for a split second. It looks more populated with stuff. It's, uh, It's interesting. Now, Storm, she meets him up there, claiming to have heard the stomping of a half-ton raccoon. Peter tells her flat out what he's doing there. He's, you know, chasing a ghost. Storm's not buying it, and suggests that maybe Pete cut down on the double espressos right before bed. Now, Peter is steadfast that he is, in fact, following a ghostly woman. And he asks Storm to come back to his room with him so he might prove it. And so she does. Upon entry, uh, our man realizes that the sketch he had drawn of that faceless woman has been replaced with a scratchy, sketchy devil face. Not like a scary one or anything. It looks more like a low effort tag. A skateboarder might spray on the wall behind a 7 eleven. It's like a happy face, but like with like a crooked mouth and horns. It's, you know. Uh, Peter says that his original sketch has been stolen. Now, Storm coddles and patronizes the big Russian for a moment, giving him that whole uh, I believe. That you believe you saw something. And then she leaves. Rather than try to go back to sleep, Peter decides to continue sketching. He's then startled by a smash sound effect coming from outside and decides to head out to investigate. And so out to the snowy grounds he goes, where he's met by a bony schlicht, which would be a snicht if the owner of those bones still had his adamantium coating. So yeah, it's Wolverine. Now he cops to being the source of the smash You see, he's throwing a very small party at his cabin He reminds Colossus and us that he'd recently relocated to this cabin When he gave Peter his bedroom in the mansion Because you see, up until very recently, Colossus was part of the Excalibur cast And was living abroad And for a while before that, he was living on Asteroid M with the Acolytes Uh, What I'm trying to say is Pete has been away from the main X crew for probably five or six years at this point. It's been a minute. Anyway, Logan invites Peter in for the party, and uh, we can see just how sad this little thing is. Uh, The only other guests are Gambit and Puck from Alpha Flight. Now, Puck is there basically to facilitate a callback and a footnote to a recent Uncanny X-Men Alpha Flight two-part crossover, which was also written by Steve Siegel. And if you haven't read that, it's a pretty fun little gimmick they have there. It's uh, two parts, right? One issue of Alpha Flight, one issue of Uncanny X-Men, but it's the same story. It's just coming from different points of view. It's really, really fun. And actually, that entire Steve Siegel volume of Alpha Flight, uh, it's up there with probably the the best Alpha Flight stuff that I've ever read. I I really, really enjoy uh, the—it's very— uh, conspiracy-laden It's it's a lot of fun I really, really enjoyed it It was uh, one of those Right time, right place things for me I was coming right back into Marvel And uh, I was going in as an ex-completionist And on a website it said Alpha Flight was an ex-book <laughs> So I grabbed Alpha Flight And absolutely fell in love with it And um, I was quite disappointed When it ended Anyway, Colossus explains His current situation to the fellas You know, how he's, you know Chasing a ghost Who's been taunting him all night Now, this piques Gambit's curiosity, and he asks for some details. You see, he fears that Pete's being haunted by whoever that ghost that was haunting him during his first ongoing series was. Was it uh, Fontanelle or the Black Womb? I I can't remember. It's been ages since I've read uh, that Niciesa Gambit series. Anyway, this bit of conversation serves as a lead-in to Gambit getting that first ongoing series. Well, first he confirms that Colossus is being haunted by a different ghost woman, and when he's satisfied... He leaves. Now, this does not pass Wolverine's smell test, and he goes to follow Remy to wherever the hell he's going. Colossus is like, hey, I'm leaving anyway. I'd be happy to follow the Cajun. Though, he doesn't actually do that. He just leaves. Once back in the mansion, we get some quick and dirty exposition on the semi-recent life and times of Piotr Rasputin. Now, he thinks that maybe this ghost girl is warning him that it was perhaps a bad idea to come back to the X-Men. He reminds himself of his time away from the X-Men and as one of Magneto's acolytes. Then, the disembodied ghost girl voice calls out again. It says that it wants Peter to remember her. And, I I mean, we we all know who this is going to be, right? This isn't a big surprise. eh? We'll get there. Anyway, Pete stomps back into his room, likely waking up everyone in the house, and he discovers that his original sketch has been returned, but not unchanged. You see, whoever done swiped it decided to write a story about this faceless girl on the sheet before returning it. And it's the story of the Ice Princess, the heiress to the wind who who was thought to be the most beautiful girl in the world until she lost her face. In the story, she is told by a voice that floated on the wind that the king of the crickets had stolen her face. Now, I couldn't tell you if this Ice Princess story is an actual reference to anything. I tried searching for it online and came up with... Links to this issue (laughs) Not much more In any event, Colossus does in fact claim to recognize this story As a, quote, folktale of his Russian youth And, uh, who talks like that? I remember this as a folktale of my Russian youth Uh, The the dialogue is gonna... It's a little iffy Uh, Anyway, Pete gets back to sketching And the disembodied voice keeps urging him to remember He goes to chase the ghost girl again, and no sooner does he leave his drafting table than somebody pops in to swipe the new sketch. Peter follows the ghost downstairs into the living area where he bumps into Kitty. When asked what the heck he's doing up, Colossus says he's looking for crickets. He admits to her that he's been having visions, but she doesn't seem to care all that much. Pete now realizes that she's rearranged all the furniture. Before he can ask why, Nightcrawler bamps in with a stolen or rescued Christmas tree. You see, he nabbed it out of a dumpster. It is Christmas Eve, after all, and the poor thing didn't get sold. It is a pretty healthy-looking tree, though, let me tell you. It's uh, one that probably shouldn't have been tossed. At this point, Colossus takes a moment to remind Kitty that she's Jewish. Oh my heavens, how dare she be excited for a Christmas tree. I mean again, who who talks like this? Uh, I know we're getting near the twenty first century here, and we're all way, way too cool and sophisticated to use narrative captions, but I feel like shoehorning this kind of stuff into the dialogue comes across as a hundred, if not a thousand times clunkier. It feels so forced and unnatural. Um Colossus actually says, Christmas, but Kitty, you are Jewish. You do not celebrate Christmas. What? Okay. Kitty tells Pete to take it down a notch She may not celebrate Christmas as a religious holiday But that doesn't mean she can't enjoy the festivities of the thing Now, at this point, Colossus tires of Kitty's story And so he starts talking about his ghost girl again Kitty and Kurt suggest he lay off the double espressos Which I think is an attempt at comedy And so, as his former Excalibur teammates get back to the business of trimming the trash tree Colossus stomps away He walks down the hallway where he hears someone talking about... Remembering, coming from one of the rooms, and he enters the room to find Professor X having some tea Chuck asks what's up, to which Peter tells his tale of woe and ghosts Xavier jokes that this feels very Dickensian, but admits that he's in the midst of a very similar dilemma himself And it's one that he faces every Christmas Eve We take a look at Xavier's desk, and we see photos of Thunderbird, Doug Ramsey, and the Changeling He says that these are students of his that won't ever get to celebrate another Christmas You know, until Necrotia and Krakoa, I guess Charles invites Peter to have a seat to continue this conversation Which he says he finds strangely stimulating Well, whatever floats your boat, right? Peter, uh, wisely Decides to decline the offer and heads back to his room Where he finds that the latest sketch has been returned And scribbled on with more Ice Princess Cricket King nonsense Colossus bellies back up to the drawing board And tells the spirits that he will not sleep again tonight Not until he gets to the bottom of this mystery Then the voice starts up again Peter once again follows it up to the attic Where he beckons for it to explain to him what he needs to remember He then finds himself sucked through a teleportation ring and deposited in Well, another version of the attic And atop one of the crates there he sees Any guesses who he sees? I mean, duh, it's Ilyana now, the first thing she says to our hero is a pun on her old codename, Magic, you know, with a K instead of a C, and she uses them both, and, you know. Colossus enters unnatural dialogue once again by reminding his sister that she is, in fact, dead. He says, but my sister, you are dead. I mean, is Colossus gone like full Yakov Shmirnov here? What's going on? Anyway, Ilyan is like, yeah, no doi, you know, but she goes on to explain that not only is she dead, she's also stuck. Colossus asks for her to explain, however, when she tries to, she can't. In fact, she recoils in apparent pain as she tries to. You see, she is able to explain that she needs something from Peter. But the powers that be, wherever she is, have rules about that. She's only allowed to pass on a single word regarding the favor, and the word she chose in this instance was remember. Now, Colossus is confused, as he claims that of course he remembers her. How could he ever forget She tells her big bro that she's delivered her message, and the rest is up to him. She also asks that he get the picture. You know, you get the picture? Which turns out is her sly way of getting around the rules of wherever she's at. And with that, she vanishes. So here we are. We're left with Colossus in the attic, and it's soon quite clear as to why he's been repeatedly called up here this evening. You see, he still hasn't unpacked since his return from the old lighthouse, and so he rummages through his boxes until he finds... the picture. Get it? Get get the picture? And it's a picture of, duh, Ilyana. Now, she looks a lot like the ice princess he's been sketching all night. And it turns out that this is exactly what Ilyana wanted and why she's been haunting him so. Pete next returns to his room to sketch some more, before passing out while hugging the framed photo of his sister. As he slumbers, somebody pops in to swipe this latest sketch, too Next we know it's Christmas morning and Peter is called into the living room So everyone can start tearing into their gifts Our man heads downstairs and he's got a handful of gifts for his friends here And, um, they're sketches Which, I mean, I don't know how y'all feel about homemade gifts But, to be completely honest, Colossus' sketches aren't all that great (laughs) Not really good Then Marrow heads over to give Pete her gift to him, and it's revealed here that she's been the one swiping the sketches and writing in all that Ice Princess stuff. She says that uh, since she can't draw, this was the next best thing she could do for him. And so she hands over the latest stolen sketch, which is framed and includes the last bit of the rickety King Cricket story. And this whole bit is like a nod to how Colossus and Marrow have been getting along quite well of late. Uh, Something about seeing the beauty behind the bode-protruding horribleness that is Marrow. And uh, it's worth noting that they were really working hard to soften Marrow here. And uh, with the next creative team to come in, they're going to crank that to 11. Marrow will be... Depicted as just another pretty face, thus losing, you know, the only selling point of the character to begin with Anyway, we close out with the reveal of what Colossus's final sketch was, and it was of the X-Men team And that's that On the very bottom of this last page, though, we do see Steve Siegel and Joe Kelly blowing out a candle Which marks the end of their... Maybe oddly acclaimed run on the main X-Books And as mentioned, they left claiming too much editorial interference So, um, to take a line from our theme song uh, <clears throat> Same as it ever was Next time out, we reach the midpoint of the second annual uh, Merry X-Lapse series And we will be taking a step off the beaten path But I, uh, I promise it'll be worth it <laughs> It's gonna be... It's going to be a fun one. I've been looking forward to covering this one for quite some time, so uh, that'll be next time. But for now, let's talk about this uh, turn-of-the-century story, and maybe a little bit about the Kelly Siegel run in retrospect. Now, the interesting thing about uh, popping in on an issue like this, especially one like right at the very end of a creative team's stint with the X-Books, is the fact that we're doing so without... Any context And in this situation we're doing so Without having read any of the other stuff In many, many years So um, my recollections are foggy at best So I'm going to keep these thoughts as brief as possible Because let's uh, let's be Pollyanna-ish And assume that Essential X-Lapse Will make it up to episode 900 Whatever episode it would have to be To discuss this one again With context and with all the uh, the extra stuff For the past day and a half or so, I've been flipping through the uh, Siegel-Kelly run, just looking at the covers to try to remember some of the stuff that was going down then. I didn't read anything, because again, I think that'll be an exercise for another time, but just looking at the covers here and jogging my memory a little bit, um, trying to remember how I felt about this run as it was coming out. And I I know I enjoyed it, and chances are I would really enjoy it uh, if I were to read it again right now, but I think this is one of those cases where... Maybe the well is a little bit poisoned due to uh, the way the hive mind talks about this run. I mean, it's a fine run. It's a good run. But uh, I think uh, I think retroactively we've made this run into something more than it ever was ever going to be. Now, is that due to creative? Is it due to editorial? Is it due to neither? Is it due to both? I can't say for sure. And And frankly, I mean, without any of the context and without having actually... Gone through the entire run It's it's kind of hard to even make a suggestion uh, Either or any way, I suppose And I suppose that's part of the reason Why I'm, like, so excited to get The Essential X-Lapsed further along Like, to the point where I even considered Like, making some outlandish statement That it was going to be a daily show Regardless of whether or not we had uh, Current year stuff to do Which would mean, like, I'd be putting... Two shows out a day, a lot of the time. And I, I don't know that would ever happen. <laughs> that is uh, very likely um, even even too crazy for me to try. And hell, even if we were to do something like that, it would still be years. <laughs> Until we got to the Kelly Siegel era. So, forget I said anything. Forget I said anything. I know I will try to forget I said anything. But uh, without all the context, and just by flipping through and looking at the covers here... I can remember some things that I was excited for. I can remember some things that I felt really didn't live up to what it could have. I'm thinking about you know the Cy War where uh, Psylocke and, and Jean swapped powers. We had the origin of Maggot where he was you know where we learned that Eeny and Meanie were his uh, digestive system. We got the original five getting back together and Jean wearing her Phoenix outfit again, which. Could have went somewhere interesting, right? And I remember reading somewhere, like, that the straw that broke the camel's back for them was that, uh, I believe the story that follows... Actually, I think it follows this actual issue here, this uh, Colossus Iliana issue, was the Magneto War, where uh, Magneto was going to threaten to tip the world off its axis unless he got, like, political control of Genosha. And he ultimately got political control of Genosha. But I remember uh, Siegel and Kelly... Talking with, uh, I believe it was Wizard Magazine, about how their big plan for the Magneto War was uh, that Storm was going to die. Like, Magneto was going to tip the world off its axis, so there's going to be, like, snow in the desert and ice caps melting, all that stuff. And Storm was going to, like, basically wear herself out trying to correct all the weather on the planet and would ultimately wind up dying. But I guess Marvel Editorial said that that was a no-go and I mean, as much as I hate the fact that the, the comics and the movies are trying to be like synergists at this point Or the mo- how the movies kind of inform the directions and the costuming and, and who lives and who dies in the comics Because of that odd belief that someone who goes to see a movie will also somehow wander into a comic book store And spend $5 on 16 pages of story I, I understand why editorial may not have wanted Storm to perish considering the X-Men film was currently in the works. Um, I don't know that it was being filmed just yet, but I know it was definitely a happening. It was definitely something that was going down. So I can understand why they wanted Storm to be alive if the movie was going to be coming out shortly. Though I do agree with uh, Kelly and Siegel that uh, killing Storm in that way would have been a pretty creative way to do it, right? It's a uh, selfless act in trying to you know, recalibrate the planet, and uh, I think it could have been a fitting end. But then you know you have that other editorial question of, then what, right? I mean they're not going to keep Storm dead, right? So how does she come back? How does that uh, how does that cheapen the event in the first place? It's comic problems, right? Anyway, for the uh, brief aside about the Kelly Siegel run in sum, um, without any of the context, I-, I can look back at it and think of you know maybe it was a case of what could have been, maybe it's a case where we were over romanticizing what actually was. Uh, You know, it can go either which way And I do certainly look forward to 150 years from now When the Essential program (laughs) gets up to this point Where we can actually do this again with context But um, I feel like if you are a Kelly and Siegel fan Their best work, in my opinion, is not on the X-Books And, uh, I mean, who knows how much of that was informed by editorial It seems like a lot was But uh, if you are interested in reading more Siegel and Kelly of this era I would wholeheartedly recommend Alpha Flight for Siegel and, of course, Deadpool for Kelly. Great, great series. Very under-the-radar series, relatively speaking, which, you know, might imply that uh, the editors cared a whole lot less <laughs> about those two books. So you can really see them strut their stuff there, and uh, I think anybody who enjoys the X-Books will enjoy those books just as much. So with that out of the way, let's talk about this issue. We haven't even talked about this issue just yet. Um, an issue that is predicated on... Like <laughs> the entire issue is about uh, guilty consciences uh, Colossus's guilt over not unpacking a photo of his sister Now, um, was he really visited by Ilyana? Was Ilyana really stuck in some sort of limbo? Maybe, maybe not Does it matter? Maybe, maybe not Probably not I think this is more about Colossus coming to terms with... Uh, His new lot in life here, being back with the X-Men, being back in the mansion. One of those things that could be seen as a step forward and a step backwards, depending on how you look at it here. Um, I think it's really just about Colossus adjusting and settling back into uh, the status quo. I gotta say, uh, in reading this issue... Anytime I think about the X-Mansion, it's always, it's always winter. It's always the holidays uh, there. I don't know why my mind always kind of associates the mansion with, with Christmas time or, you know, just autumn and, and winter. But uh, seeing the mansion and seeing how full of life it was, you have all the, all the characters just living there and living on the property. It makes me miss this uh, era all that much more. You know, I think I talked about this uh, last episode with the Outback issue Where it doesn't feel like the X-Men are really a family anymore uh, During, you know, current-year Cohen stuff Where back then, that was always at the forefront Regardless of what the story was, or what the threat was, or who the focus character was There was always this underlying feeling of family, no matter who was writing it Right, it could have been Siegel, Kelly, Lobdell, Claremont. Didn't matter. Alan Davis coming on. You know, it always felt like a family book first and, and foremost. Whereas we really don't have that anymore, which kind of sucks, in my opinion, of course. But um, that might be my main positive takeaway from this issue: is that it uh, reminded me of a much more comfortable time in X history here, where you know the feeling of family was uh, was prevalent and uh, prioritized. Where it just isn't the case anymore. Um on the flip side, let's talk about dialogue, which again in my opinion was very very rough. Um it felt like Colossus was the the exposition man, right? It was just like him explaining every uh, but but sister, you are dead, but Kitty, you are Jewish. Like nobody talks like this. Not even Yakov Shmirnov would talk like this. This is um Really not, I mean, I don't want to say that it pulled me out of the story Because it it certainly didn't But it made me think that maybe um, Colossus had like a uh, Maybe a double quaalude espresso (laughs) It was just He was out of it And not only that, he was also quite hard to relate to Whereas like everyone else we saw in the story Felt more interesting You know, if, uh, if Colossus is your focus character I don't know, maybe make him a little bit more Interesting to follow You know, we see Storm and it's like, yeah, can't we stay with Storm? And then we go to, like, Wolverine's cabin. It's like, hey, let's stay there. It's a a pitiful little party, but I'm more interested in what they're doing than what Colossus is doing. Kitty and Kurt, you know, trimming the tree. Give me a scene of that rather than following Colossus back up to his bedroom. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking from a point of view that uh, Colossus was never really one of my favorites. You know, I came in with the, uh, you know... Volume 2 stuff, where Colossus was basically a sad sack from the get-go And uh, didn't remain on the team very long I was only reading the books for like a year, year and a half maybe Before he joined the Acolytes So for me, Colossus was always like this tragic figure Not a very fun figure Uh, It wasn't until I'd go back to the Claremont stuff Where I'd start to really see what Colossus was all about It's just unfortunate that That's not really the Colossus we ever get to see. You know, we don't really get to see Colossus being fun. Even to this very day, he's this somber, sad, uh, just really, you know, not fun to read character. I mean, even to this very day, uh, it's, you know, Colossus talking about committing suicide with Domino or breaking the neck of that girl that he fell in love with in the Savage Land. It's just, he's not a fun character to read. And he's often the least interesting character on panel. At least, again in my opinion. But I think I've gone on <laughs> a little too long uh, dissing poor old Pieta Rasputin, so this is where we'll call it a day. Um, actually, one more thing. Uh, Chris Bocciolo, Bocciolo's art. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, if he could draw every book, <laughs> I think I'd be a happy camper. I know he's not for everybody, but um, I can't think of anything that uh, Bocciolo Bocciolo has uh, drawn that, that I haven't really, really enjoyed. So... Definitely really cool to see him here Always cool to see him on an next book Hopefully we'll see him again on an next book in, uh, in the current year But with all that said Let's head to the wrap up here I'd like to invite anybody listening to uh, share your thoughts with me Or maybe just reach out and say hi You can find me several different ways On Twitter, i Comics Instagram, 90s X-Men You can send me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com Or leave a voicemail message at 623-396-JERK for blog posts and show notes, you can head to InfiniteEarths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head to Reggie.podbean.com or search up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill on any podcast aggregation application. Finally, we've got the Patreon. It is patreon.com slash XLast if you want to throw a little support my way and get some exclusive content, some behind-the-scenes stuff, and a great group of folks to chat with. But uh, I think that's where I'll button it for now. I'd like to thank you all so much for spending a little bit of your holiday season with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya! What's going on deep inside your heart?